Tuna Boot. Hello, welcome to the 54th ever episode of Tuna Boot. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome you to this episode. We have Liam over there, Doug over here, Jim over here, and uh, we're going <laughs> to fucking day something, aren't we? Aye. Something very exciting. Um, we're going to improve upon a film, or rather Dougal is. But before we pass it on to him, let's go over to Liam for a little bit of admin. Hello, and this is Tuna Boots. 54th episode and uh, we would like you to like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening to it thank you exactly uh, short and sweet absolutely now Dougal tell us what we're going to hear today well before that I've got a sponsor of course so you know um, thank you for <laughs> welcoming me to the 54th episode it's very <laughs> nice to be here um, this week I've got a very exciting sponsor something a bit different whatever we've had before this is emily patience's equine breeding station wow now you guys have heard of equine breeding before i assume aye horse breeding yeah so equine breeding but it's not just horses my friend horses donkeys and zebras were you ready for that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so she breeds horses zebras and donkeys together. She, of course, starts off, and you can buy these animals from her. Zoos, if you're interested, regular viewers, if you'd like something, a horse with a bit more pizzazz, then get ready, because we have, <laughs> to start with, we have the classic mule, which is, of course, a male donkey and a female horse breed together. So I did not mule. know that. Yeah. A mule's different from a donkey. Yeah, 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 a mule's different from a donkey, my Ooh. friend. This is why you need to go to Emily Patience's equine breeding station. So, after that, we, of course, have the Zorse, which is a yeah. male zebra and a female horse. Lovely. Bit stripes on a horse. Basically a zebra, but not quite. Um, wow. Next, we have, uh, and this is a very exciting one she's got. She's got the Henny, which is a male horse and a female donkey. So, you can get your very own Henny. And uh, she's just introduced a new Zetland. Of course, which is the Shetland Pony Ooh. with the zebra. Genuine, all these, by the way. And of course, <laughs> lastly, and this is my favourite equine that she does. It's the Zedonk, which is a male <laughs> zebra and a female donkey. <laughs> so we are thrilled to be able to offer you a Zorse, Mule, Zedonk, Henny and Zetland deal. <laughs> <laughs> you get the set of five. <laughs> for four you don't need to pay for a Zetland Zetlands are the cheapest free Zetland you get a free Zetland with every uh, Zorse, Mule, Zedonk and Henny uh, combo that you buy <laughs> so jump on down to Emily Patience's equine breeding station to get this amazing deal wow thank you this was brought to you by a Google search me and Ali did earlier on today fantastic <laughs> <laughs> wow I had an R one lined up, and then I uh, we googled what a mule was today during one of me and Ali's routine conversations about mules, yeah. and then I, you know, I looked down and saw Zadonk. <laughs> well, I need to click that now. Figure <laughs> out what that is, and it brought me onto the website for Emily Patience's Equine Breeding Station. It's a mule deal. It's a mule deal. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not why we're here today. We're not here to discuss horses. We're not here to 
discuss AIM locations. Thank you for sponsoring us, but you, you know, your bit's done. What we're doing today is we are doing another um, sort of Tuna Boot does a rewrite of a film or a new film written. Uh, in season three, Jim did Fight Club 2029, which was a fucking resounding success. Fantastic, Fantastic episode. I don't know if I'll be able to live up to it, but I've tried my best. Um, so I thought, I'm a massive Beatles fan. Um, fans of the podcast might not know that because I don't think we ever really brought up the Beatles that much. <laughs> not much <laughs> The point. most we brought up the Beatles was to slag off Paul McCartney. So some of you might not know that I am actually a massive Beatles fan. <laughs> and um, I sat down to the film yesterday with massive hopes. Thought it was going to be fucking amazing. And I was bitterly disappointed. And I thought there's a better film in this. There's a better film in the idea that the Beatles didn't exist, didn't make it, something like that. Mm-hmm. So before we start, the boys have had a little sort of research into yesterday, watched it, read a bit of the script, whatever. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the film because it, I mean, me and Ali spoke about it after we watched it and we were not very appreciative of it. I did not like it in the film. I thought the bulk singing was lovely <laughs> um, and I liked the songs and the story could pretty much fuck off. And that's kind of how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I didn't get a chance to see the film, but I sat on my time off at work reading the script, going through all the the dialogue. But I did, in my uh, looking for the script, I found an interview with Jack Barth, who has the story credit, uh, credited to him. No. Um, what? Yeah, go on. I just I can't see this being something I'm going to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Jack Barth says his original script uh, cover version had a tone that wasn't as lighthearted as 2019's Yesterday and so basically he was credited as the story creator by what's his fucking name? Richard Curtis Richard Curtis Richard Curtis bought the rights to this story by Jack Barth who can be best described as a struggling writer is what it says here um, having spent 40 years in industry, uh, in the industry and writing 25 unproduced screenplays. He was 62 years old when he sold cover version. And basically, Barth told uh, the guys that were making this uh, interview that his original script was a much more depressing take on fame. Uh, and it was a, a much more personal story, lamenting on the thought that he had while lying in bed that if Star Wars hadn't been made and I just came up with it, I bet I wouldn't be able to sell it. <laughs> That's very interesting and kind of quite a big part of my script, so I quite like that you oh, brought Oh, yeah. this is good. <laughs> yeah, 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 this is all tying together nicely. Who says we're not a professional podcast? <laughs> no one, because we don't get any fucking correspondence. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so basically, uh, cover version, as yesterday was originally called, was a contemplation on the relationship between arti- uh, artistic integrity, disappointment, and what it means to be a, quotation, successful, quotation, artist. Uh, and here's a little quote from him. I've been thinking a lot about this uh, recently, and I think the reason that Richard turned him into the most successful songwriter of all time is because that's how Richard's life is going. He met Rowan Atkinson at Oxford, he came out of Oxford and immediately rode Rowan Atkinson to huge success in his early 20s. He's never been knocked out, as far as I know. Why wouldn't this guy become the most successful songwriter in the world? 
So that is that is genuinely quite interesting because I've I've sort of I've kept the good-hearted the sort of feel-good British film style to mm-hmm. it, but there's definitely an element in there that mm-hmm. sort of relates to that. Yeah, what if and that these sort of what ifs and mm. it's not all gravy because yeah. you know as as three boys who have written through our early twenties and. We never wrote Blackadder for Bowen Atkinson, did yeah. we? So, you know. Um, yeah, anyway, that's really interesting. Thanks for that. Uh, Jim, do you have your thoughts on the film? Yeah, well, I took a rather more unorthodox approach and watched the film. <laughs> <laughs> Call me old-fashioned. Only, only Liam, by the way, can get away with not watching the film. And have the most interesting story to tell about. <laughs> I know. Read the script. Yeah. No, but honestly, no, that is fascinating. But um, yeah, I'll just read out the notes as because I feel like to pontificate would be to waste time, and I really want to get to Google's fix for the film. So I'll just read the notes as I wrote them, and then perhaps summarise it, and we'll move on quickly. So first note was it gets to the point really efficiently. I like that when you know the premise and accept it, you enjoy the jokes, and. So I'm talking about the first 20 minutes. And I particularly like, love the joke when he, he's Googling stuff that when he's trying to find out whether or not they would exist and he Googles Oasis and they don't exist. That is funny. That's the best joke in the film. I loved all that and I thought, oh, you know what? I'm actually going to enjoy this because I went into it not wanting to hate it. I yeah. wanted to enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah, no, definitely. Um, so the next note is, side characters are almost unanimously irritating and they all sound like Richard Curtis wrote them. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all of them. Every yeah. single one of them. It's just you know I I you know I have to say you know, if if anyone's going to be involved in the fourth series of Blackadder they're going to be one of my favourite writers, but mm. anyone who knows what I'm talking about knows what I'm talking about. Uh, guy playing Jack is great. Unfortunately, I can't remember his name, but I thought his performance was really good throughout it all. The lead guy. Yeah, the lead guy. Yeah, Himish Patel. Himish Patel. I yeah. thought he was really low key, funny. He wasn't. You know, he wasn't doing too much. He was doing exactly what he needed to do. Very good singer as well. Amazing. Yeah. And a very lovely guitar player. Uh, we'd happily sit and listen to him play, uh, play Beatles songs. And, yeah. You know, we'd love that. Um, I take issue with Ed Sheeran being the Beatles equivalent in a non-Beatles world. That is <laughs> the most one of the most offensive things I've seen in modern films. I'll say since before I was... I don't think I've ever seen anything that I took more issue with. Yeah. yeah. Right? I've got nothing against Ed Sheeran. Mm-hmm. I think he's a lovely guy who deserves every bit of success coming to him. And he writes lovely songs. I'm not going to speak any more about it. Because I th- I'm hoping you can tell by that pause just how fucking irate I was. It's not It's not this era. era's Beatle. Beatles. No. Yeah. And, and there hasn't been one. And to... Th- to th- Sheeran of all cunts. <laughs> no, I mean, no. I mean, he has—he's the one that has as maybe as much success as anyone else because he keeps topping those most downloaded charts and all that. He's the—he's probably the most listened to or one of the most listened to artists. But his songwriting isn't any. I mean, fuck off. Yeah. Fuck right off. See, that's where mine plays into it because part of my thing was to keep Ed Sheeran in the film, mm-hmm. and I wanted to keep Ed Sheeran in the film. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is that he is this successful guy, mm-hmm. but at no point. Is it ever mentioned that he's sort of like the Beatles? It says he's been at top of the chart for a ridiculous amount of weeks. Yeah. Shit like that, that doesn't really matter. It's just he's successful. Because he would always be successful. And he, and he deserves to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, make, not the, don't make that comparison. Yeah. It's He doesn't sit down in a room with him and Patel 
and say, I'm the best songwriter, here's my song, and then Himish Patel whips out the long and winding road mm. and everyone goes, oh, that's a, that's a well-written song, isn't it? There's so many better songwriters out there. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I too. You, you, you know me. You yeah. know I too. Because much issue to that as you do. If not more so. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing about. Um, yeah. So that, to be honest with you, that really threw me. And the fact that Ed Sheeran can't really act. Yeah. Threw the whole fucking thing off for a loop. <laughs> but again, I want to make clear: no hatred towards the man himself. And of course, if someone said, "Do you want to be in this movie?" You would. You would one hundred percent do it. Yeah. I mean, no ill will whatsoever. As if he's going to care. So the next <laughs> note is. The whole movie, I kept remembering how great the Beatles are, mm-hmm. but I was always aware of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the words "poison chalice" are used. <laughs> one of them, uh, the, one of the, the record producer says "poison chalice," and that reminded me of Dougal. Something that we haven't mentioned on the podcast, but he said a couple of times it made me laugh. Um, the cigarette joke is atrocious. Oh, cigarette and coke. No, not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah cigarettes exactly. yeah, and the coke not existing. Yeah, because the, cause what that suggests is that the Beatles killed millions of people by popularising smoking. Yeah. And if anyone did that, James Dean did that. Long, <laughs> 20 years before they did. So fuck off with that. That really fuck. I nearly punched Becky. I was so angry. I was like, she hadn't done you anything. Know, the thing with that was, I, I looked up, I tried to find out why they said they didn't exist. Mm. No reason. No reason. No reason. And that was like, that's all gone. By the way, yeah. fuck that right <laughs> off. No, not having it. It's, it's an ugly bastard joke hated it uh, the writing of Eleanor Rigby is brilliant I love that mm-hmm. sequence where he can't quite mm-hmm. remember the words to Eleanor Rigby that mm-hmm. was really good mm-hmm. uh, the emotional train station sequence was great except Jack's cookie sidekick character has been done to death and I hated him and I wanted him to fuck off every second I think Rocky was his character's name every second he was on screen I wanted him to fuck off not because and not, not to do with the actor just I, I, that character has been done to death oh I'm cookie oh I'll have some crisps no you won't you'll fuck off hated him uh, the woman playing the horrible manager is really good the blonde haired lassie yeah. she's really good at playing that evil bitch part that was ace and the next one that cunt looks just like John Lennon is it Robert Carlyle <laughs> it is Robert Carlyle yeah yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure uh, but that, I, I kind of I don't know if you'll disagree with this Dougal but I kind of liked that bit even though it was a bit weird it didn't work but like I felt like that is like a wee short movie bit with John Lennon still being alive I, yeah I I don't know I, I wanted to like it but I didn't I feel like they could have used him better than they did yeah. I feel like it was yeah I get it but I I didn't like it I think I give John Lennon a much better arc yeah, <laughs> well, you think you'd have more importance because because uh, all that is is fan service, and of course, yeah. this whole film is about appreciating it. But you can do it in a much better way. And actually, the more I'm reading these notes, the more I hate this film. Um, two more notes. It was nice that the idea was just to put music out there in the end. The way he just said, "I'd rather the world existed with the music than without it," mm-hmm. and he chose to not stay famous and just make sure the music was there. Mm-hmm. I liked that, but you could have done that in ten minutes, mm-hmm. and then. My summary is, I wanted to love it, but didn't. I wanted to hate it, but couldn't. Was simultaneously fascinated and bored by it. I'm going to add a caveat to that. Now, it's dog shit. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing Dougal help. Mm -hmm. You need somebody. We can work it out. We can. 
both songs <laughs> in my film. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Sorry we took up so much time there. I'm really looking forward no, to it. No, 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 no. It's a bit of a longer episode. Apologies. <laughs> uh, Liam, what's the, would you like to caveat that with anything before we start? So, thank you very much for your uh, analysis of yesterday, Jim. Cheers. I've got two small excerpts to read out for the listeners, uh, just to give a feel of the old film compared to Dougal's new film. A valued. Oh, by the way, this is from someone who's never seen the film as well, so I don't. I don't know. I don't even know who. What character saying what? So here we go, though. You've read the film. This, yeah, I've read the film, but I didn't know which character was saying <laughs> what either. So uh, this this is just me reading what I see. <laughs> A valued cog in a well-oiled rock machine. Yes. Yes. Good set though, mate. Yeah? Did you hear it? I didn't see you. If I'm totally honest, I only popped by for a quick bong behind the tent. Oh, but it was a lovely surprise to hear you. I mean, I didn't hear much of it, to be honest, because of the bong and stuff. But, yeah. Ah, you're still making sweet love to young Ellie, I see. No, 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 never, no, not once. That's a shame. It, it, it was actually worse in the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that rocky, I squ- punched me. In the <laughs> uh, so, excerpt two. Thank you so much. So, what exactly do you do? Make sure everything runs like clock, uh, clockwork. Service the equipment, right? Make sandwiches, make teas. Ah, uh, oh, Christ. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Michael. You're fired. Fair dues. Got fired. Give Ellie one for me, yeah? No, really, we don't. Catch you later. Oh, great day. Yeah, great day. Though, L, we should stop now. I can't do this anymore. Don't be stupid. The, f- <laughs> the most fun thing about both of those is that we're both about over-sexualizing Ellie, who is Lily James's character in the thing. <laughs> So it's just nice that, you know, the whole Feel Good Beatles songs also has a bit of casual sexism just <laughs> kicking it back there. They were awful. Join us in part two of this episode but now that we've done the intro <laughs> to listen to my script. So, for the film, I gave myself a few parameters to work around. Um, first off, it had to be like a feel-good British film. Because... That's the aesthetic, a very Richard Kurtz aesthetic sort of thing. It's got to be, there's got to be a few feel-good moments, a few cheesy moments in it. Grand. Um, obviously, Beatles music has to be the main component to it. Ed Sheeran had to be in it. I gave myself that challenge just to keep him in it in some capacity. Uh, it had to be set in the modern day. I had to use a couple of the original cast members. I think I've used four in total, including Ed Sheeran. And uh, it's the Beatles didn't exist or they didn't make it. So I gave myself that parameter just to give myself a bit of flexibility with this whole idea that the Beatles didn't exist. Cool. Um, I've done some casting choices. I don't know if they work, but it's sort of the closest that I could think about it. There's a couple that you could sort of try and do yourself if you'd wanted to at the end, but we've um, got most of the cast that I've sort of went with. Mm -hmm. Oh, and my last caveat that I gave myself is that I'm writing a part for Mike Wozniak from Taskmaster. Excellent. Fantastic. Love that. Just because we've been watching Taskmaster season 11, if you haven't watched it, it's fucking amazing, and Mike Wozniak is one of the kings of all our uh, US listeners. If you've not watched Taskmaster, 
fucking give it a shot. The the but UK Taskmaster. Though. UK, not US, because I don't know about that. But yeah. So um, we're gonna open, and we're gonna hear the uh, start of Love Me Do, the first song the Beatles released. Excellent. It's the fifteenth of August, nineteen sixty-two, and we're gonna pan through an empty cavern club as we hear the tech rehearsal from the band. This is uh, when Pete Best was still drumming. So there's no Ringo Starr at this point. We see a young band. Cameo appearances are welcome, but I don't know who would play them. We can come to that at the end. We're gonna get close-ups as they're rehearsing Love Me Do. As we reach the end of the song, the power goes off in the club. Various techies start to run about and try and sort out the power, but we quickly find out that there's a uh, fucked wiring or something's wrong, basically. This is my deus ex machina to get something to happen bad, basically. <laughs> um, long story short, they can't fix it, and the club has to be shut for a while. For those of you who don't know, the Beatles performed regularly in the Cavern Club, and this was like one. This is the last gig of Pete Best before he left the band, which kind of plays a part in it. So the band don't perform that night, um, and it's sort of that gig's cancelled. Outside the club, Pete Best tells the boys that he's quitting the band, doesn't want to be in it any longer, he's trying to do something else. And long story short, they're not able to find a replacement drummer for the next day, they can't really think about it, so they cancel a few gigs, lose momentum, and that's how Ivor raised the Beatles. A gig was cancelled, they couldn't find a new drummer. One thing led to another, they never made it. Simple as cut. We cut to the song yesterday. Plays over the top as we get a montage of an older Paul McCartney waking up. Now I thought, older Paul McCartney, who do I want to play him? And I thought, there's one man who I know, who I don't know if he can do a Liverpudlian accent, but I know he can play the piano. I know he's a talented musician. So I've given it to Hugh Laurie mm. as sort of a Paul McCartney type. Mm. So he wakes up in a small house in Liverpool. We get a montage of him waking up he has breakfast, sort of walking about, he's reading, playing the piano a little bit, and enjoying a wee glass of red in the evening. Montage repeats a few times with some slight alterations throughout the song as we watch Paul McCartney sort of dealing with a regular life. From this point on in the script, I refer to Paul McCartney as Maka because that's how I've written it. Right. Yeah. As the song ends, at the end of this montage, we get a ring on the door. It's only Olivia Harrison, Paul Harrison, uh, George Harrison's wife. American wife, who's going to be played by an older American actress. I was thinking like a Meryl Streep type for this. Good actress, not a big role in it, but my budget is fantasy in this. She informs Paul McCartney that his old pal and bandmate George Harrison's passed away at 78. He's lived a happy life, mostly in America, before they came back to the UK a few years ago. Um, during his life, George often reminisced about the Beatles days and kept on writing songs till the end of his life, often yearning to do something with this work. She, they moved, when they moved back a few years ago and he started to get unwell, they started to sort of, you know, think about these things a bit more. And when he died, she decided that she'd trap down Paul and John to go to the funeral. After a while, you know, a bit of conversation, Maka agrees to go to the funeral, wishes her well decides that he'd head on. So we cut to the funeral. And it's kind of, it's a really nice affair. There's a lot of people there. He was quite a beloved man. And 
then we get the eulogy, which is delivered by uh, George Harrison's son, Danny Harrison, who'd be about 42 at this point. Danny Harrison, uh, look up a wee picture, I thought, kind of an American actor with a bit of, he, he almost, he, he looks a bit mixed race almost. So I've uh, decided to cast Oscar Isaac in this part. Perfect. Oscar mm. Isaac, of course, from uh, uh, Inside William Davis, a uh, yeah. pronounced singer, can play guitar, fantastic. Beautiful. He speaks of his dad's love for music and how he wrote songs up until his dying day. Then Danny takes out a guitar and dedicates the last song to his dad. It's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yeah. George Harrison's uh, one of his best songs for the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Paul listens to this and we get some lovely shots of the crowd and really emotional scene as this song plays we then cut to outside the funeral Olivia thanks everyone for coming for coming Paul walks past her she asks him if he saw John at the funeral uh, McCartney sort of tells her no he didn't notice him he was just sort of caught up in the moment she tells him that's a bit you know that's a bit of a shame John was looking forward to seeing him she thought she saw John leave but she wasn't quite sure but she tells Paul just to give John a shout. See if he's going to be about whatever. Um, Paul McCartney, he's, he's, he's polite, but he's quite clearly distracted after this music. It's, sort of, it's resonated with him. Mm-hmm. And he walks away while we hear a bit of the remnants of while my, while my Guitar Gently Weeps playing in his head. Later that night, um, McCartney is sort of sitting there and we... Here, still hear little bits of this while my guitar gently weeps playing in his head he opens a drawer and uh, in his house and uh, finds some music that he's been writing over the years and he picks up an old tatty guitar and he plays Blackbird then I've got a classic cheesy moment because halfway through this a neighbour's going to bang on the wall and tell him to shut the fuck up <laughs> just to give that wee bit <laughs> this classic British sort of thing mm-hmm. so he duly stops, he tans his wine and he fucks off to bed the next morning, he's sitting with a coffee and he turns on the radio and we hear these silky tones of DJ Mike Wozniak. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to BBC Radio Merseyside, the home of music. And that's exactly what we have next. Music. Of course, racking up his 100th consecutive day at number one, TikTok, it's Sheeran o'clock. The radio plays Sing by Ed Sheeran. McCartney sighs and turns off the radio pretty quickly. Love it. Cue to a longing sort of look at the piano. And then we get a ring at the door. So McCartney opens the door, beer break. It's beer time. <laughs> he opens the door and it's John Lennon. Now, I was wondering who I was going to cast as John Lennon. And I was looking through some pictures of older art, older actors with when they're playing longer hair, got a bit of longer hair on them. And I thought, if he could do the accent, I'm going to give it to Gary Oldman. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is yeah. his old friend. So we've got an Oldman Laurie tangent coming on here. I mean, if he can do fucking Winston Churchill, he can do. John well, that's what I thought. <laughs> so, Oldman Laurie, by the way. Yeah, that is a dream team. So they sort of exchange hellos, and then one thing leads to another. Uh, Maka invites Lennon in for a coffee. They sit together and talk about George. Lennon talks about the songs his son, the song his son sang that uh, you know, while my guitar gently weeps says it hit him hard, remembering all the stuff they wrote together. Paul admits the same happened to him. Lennon talks about his songwriting and the two chat about the stuff they've sort of done in their spare time, both agreeing that they've struggled to find a place in the world without music since they decided to call it quits for the band. Uh, Maka tells John about this song he 
just been writing but couldn't quite get right and starts playing the start of it. It's we can work it out. He gets to the second chorus and admits something's missing. Lennon asks him to play in the lead up again and grabs the guitar while Maka sort of does the uh, melody on the piano. Lennon begins to toy with a bridge and as the bridge pro progresses we are pushed straight into this song. So in reality this was a true story. McCartney wrote the first couple of uh, verses for We Can Work Out and then Lennon came up with the bridge. Yeah. So I'm sort of borrowing from reality unlike the original film here. Um, we've got a montage during the song of the two meeting and beginning to write songs together. A lot of fun. They're enjoying themselves. It's progressing nicely. We see the names of a variety of Beatles songs being written and added to by the men. The montage ends, uh, the montage ends as John and Maka hold a document of sort of like a fantasy set list they would have loved to do. They're pretty happy about it and talking about maybe, you know, going to an open mic or something, just for old times' sake. They're both in their 70s. They've got nothing really much else going. They're just wanting to try something out. They decide to hit up the Jar Club, club in uh, Liverpool that the Beatles used to play in, which is still around to this day. Um, and they want to do a wee acoustic set of a couple of songs. So next thing, we're going to cut to the Jar Club where we hear several artists playing. There'll be local new artists, and I'm going to give uh, shouts to anyone who wants to play in the film at this point, coming along and playing a wee, you know, 30 second grabs of their song in between Maka and uh, Paul and John singing. Yeah. Decky McKenney. Decky McKenney could make an appearance. That's what I was saying. Special appearance by a bigger band is totally welcome at this point, because this is a world where the Beatles didn't make it. Music's such a fickle industry that we can have anyone who maybe just didn't get that hit not making it at this point. So during these scenes, we obviously cut back to Mac and John, re reminiscing about their old days, and it's just a really nice moment. They're eventually joined by Danny Harrison, who's came to support his friend who's coming up. We then hear the voice of a woman playing, Alice, who's played by Carrie Mulligan, mm. Oscar Isaacs, um, sort of uh, his partner in uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Mm -hmm and a uh, fantastic actress who I just saw in Promising Young Woman. Absolutely fantastic. And she plays an acoustic song. I want Dink's song at this moment. I'm going to give her Dink's song because she's, you know, inside Lou and David's shout out. She's also married to the book from uh, Mumford and Sons. So it's sort of, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> sort of his version of it or something like that. She can sing. Fab. <laughs> they clap. Danny's obviously cheering the loudest. Paul and Maka both comment that... Um, both Danny and Alice are really talented and should maybe consider doing a duet at some point. Um, soon after this, they get asked to come up to the stage and sing together. They start a three-song set, starting with Ticket to Ride, moving on to Eleanor Rigby, and ending with Work It Out. We can work it out. Um, we see a lot of this set and the crowd enjoying it, sort of like a minute from each song with some cheeky crossfades in between. Just enjoying herself, really letting the music have its moment. Alice shows up and tells them that she absolutely loved it and hopes to see them around again. They exchange these pleasantries and she says she sort of knows a guy who will record some stuff if they want to just put a recording, get a demo together of some of their stuff. The two men seem quite excited by the prospect and start to get whipped into this sort of renaissance of their music. They have a quick chat and then decide to take her up on the offer. She's happy to help but tells them they need to sort out their um, battered old guitars that they're playing. Because their music, their uh, instruments are shite. They look at their tatty instruments and decide it's probably for the best. And they're having fun, so why not chuck in a bit of change to get the old guitars set up? It's the end of their lives. They're enjoying themselves. So this next scene, 
is a scene for my own enjoyment, and I hope you guys like it. So, we cut to uh, the two outside this music shop called Double G String Music. They walk in and can instantly hear shouting from the back. Out pops Noel Gallagher, who looks them up and down. He asks what the two old cunts want. <laughs> <laughs> they say they need to upgrade their setup. Noel shouts for Liam to come in helping, who stays through the back. Um, and so while this happens, sort of, uh, Maka follows uh, Noel to look at some new gear, and John goes through the back to get his guitar fixed by Liam. So we're going to cue some fun here with the brothers shouting and fighting throughout. They can't be filmed in the same room, and I kind of want that to be made very apparent. So you've got Liam through the back and Noel there. I'm going to have the great moment where Noel takes a guitar to show McCartney, and he's going to play uh, Leave My Guitar Alone, a really good B-side by uh, mm -hmm. Noel. And halfway through, Liam's going to shout that shout, turn it off sort of thing. B-side <laughs> to Riverman. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun that scene it's just a bit of fun and I like this oh. idea that Oasis didn't exist because they were so heavily influenced by the yeah. Beatles mm. so I wanted to keep that element in it so the scene ends with Lenny and Gartner they've got the gear, they're sorted, they're going to go and record we're now in the recording studio John and Maka sit and get their guitars tuned and stuff over the mic right are you ready boys, Himish Patel from the original is playing the recording artist Guy called, the um, sound engineer Guy called Baz, call him Baz so <laughs> What do you the, mean? Baz. Baz from the Happy Mondays. Well, Baz from the Sad Tuesdays. I, don't know. <laughs> I was going to say the Press Tuesdays. I'm wicked, isn't So the two, you know, the two are like, yeah, we're ready. And they burst into I Want to Hold Your Hand. And then record I Saw Her Standing There, which was the B-side to I Want to Hold Your Hand. So another bit of reality coming in there. The sound engineer tells them they've got something, but also they've got this totally unconventional look for a modern band. Baz is talking about their music like a super fan by the end and sort of like after listening to it again and again and he sort of maybe um, injects a wee harmony says you should do this get a bit Himish Patel singing because he's quite good at it you know um, but he really thinks they have something uh, despite their appearance so he tells the duo that he has some connections to uh, Radio Merseyside and would love to like try and give them a demo to the station He's, he comments that this is actually a really retro way of doing it but it kind of fits with the band's aesthetic <laughs> so it'll work um, Mac and Joe sort of have a conversation about it Mac is not really sure but John reminds him that most of the life's behind them this is the chance to leave something behind to feed the message of love and community to the world their time's almost passed but they're getting an opportunity not many people are offered to live their dream after living their life McCartney's unsure but ultimately agrees to it, citing fuck it as a good enough reason <laughs> Baz is chuffed and calls his guy who is in the area and says he'll come by tomorrow. Cut to Wozniak listening to the demo with uh, headphones and making some notes. <laughs> he shouts for a coffee from his assistant, who's a skittish little James Acaster. <laughs> Wozniak hums and hauls over the track before switching it off. He turns to them and asks them the band's name. The two have no idea what to say. They used to go by the Beatles, but it doesn't feel right without Harrison and Pete Best. Again, remembering Ringo doesn't exist in this world yet. <laughs> uh, so they decide to simply be Lennon McCartney for the time being. Wozniak tells them they need something snappier if a bunch of old codgepots cod, like them are going to make it to the big time time. Nevertheless, he likes the music <laughs> and agrees to play it on his show pending approval from his management, etc. I have no idea how this would work in real life, but this is fake, so fuck it, that's how it's going to happen. <laughs> um, a few days later, 
uh, John and Mac are writing to music together, working on apologies for this when I'm 94, because you know they're not they're <laughs> over 64 at this point. That's my little joke. That's my one bit. I apologize. Could be when I'm 64. Doesn't matter. And nowhere, man. So we get a bit of those two. Uh, when there's a no- when uh, suddenly there's a knock at the door. It's Acaster again. He tells them the song will played on uh, Radio Merseyside tonight at nine. He admits he too loved the song, calling it old school pop rock. He then tells them about a sort of competition he thinks they should enter to win a slot supporting uh, Sheeran's latest show. It's at the Liverpool M&S Bank Arena, the biggest stadium in Liverpool. And it's sort of a support slot that Sheeran's doing a wee competition for. So he's obviously made it, brilliant, whatever. He's getting some band together, a local band, to try and help him out to do a wee support slot. We think, fine. He thought they had a good, pure brand of music and should go for it. So he leaves the two alone to contemplate their next move. So then we're cut to later that night. They're sitting with a glass of red again and listening to the radio. Their song, I Want to Hold Your Hand, comes up with some fun banter from the ever-reliable Wozniak in between. <laughs> they listen proudly. During the song, John asks Maka if he wants to do the competition. John says there's no harm in giving it a shot, to which Maka replies, I suppose. John leaves and Maka tells him they'll sort of speak about it in a few days after the next jam. So a few days come to pass and John comes back telling uh, Paul that he signed them up. He at first isn't sure, but John sort of tells him, get a grip. They write good music and they should give it a shot because if they shit the bed, they'll be dead soon anyway. Doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, after that sort of argument, McCartney sort of again does his old fuck it and they get to work writing. We get a blast of Obladi, Oblada as they rehearse and get themselves ready to compete in a fun little montage again. During the montage, we're getting a fun look at them getting ready for the competition, as well as maybe a few costume changes, a bit of old British humour, fun, montage bit, whatever. So the day of the gig has arrived. We've got a few bands that we've heard of before trying to get a support slot for Sheeran. Maybe you're sort of like Cortina's Monkeys sort of guys coming in, who maybe as well, just because luck of the draw, haven't made it. Whatever. Maybe not the Art of Monkeys, but someone like the Cortina's you could realistically see yeah. if they didn't make it. They could be like going up for this sort of thing, just a gigging band. Mm. So, um, they're sort of the these bands not making it into the industry. The audience are more than free to assume is because the Beatles did not exist. But I am not stating that, and it's just luck of the draw. If they want to think that, they can. Fine. So they all sort of disregard the two metal two old men. These <laughs> bands who instantly feel out of place. Eventually, we've got a younger female singer, played by Lily James, who's a very good singer uh, from the original as well, steps out onto stage and sings accompanied by the piano. It's a beautiful pop ballad and done really nicely. So she's obviously given a standard ovation and really fits the look of the industry. Once she finishes, Lennon McCartney are asked to the stage. As they arrive on the stage, we see the judging panel. There's an enthusiastic Wozniak who's smiling and clapping, but the rest of the panel are silent as these two 70-year-olds appear. The panel comprises of an American producer, played by Lamorne Morris from New Girl, who plays Winston in New Girl, Mm -hmm. because he's in Yesterday as the music producer in Yesterday, and I thought he was just cheesy American shite. Oh, okay. So basically that. And then I've got a Simon Cowell type, Mm. who I thought, older Simon Cowell, who am I going to play with him? Yeah, who am I going to get to play him? I'll give it to Pierce Brosnan. They basically look quite similar. So I'll give him that. Yeah, that's cool. And then we've got Ed Sheeran as well. Played by... Ed Sheeran. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) 
played by Rupert Grint. So, <laughs> yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's better. Cool. It's, uh, Rupert Grint plays Ed Sheeran then. Thanks, uh, <laughs> Wozniak stopped clappings when he realised no one else was being enthusiastic about these two. He's sort of playing the little fish in a big pond. Maka and Lennon begin to play the long and winding road, a lovely pop ballad to get the judges into them. The song's emotional and we scut to the other bands and judges watching in awe of this stunning performance. And I really want Paul McCartney, Hugh Laurie, to drain his soul into this song. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be beautiful. Lennon is happy to be doing Like, there's just this this sort of charisma between them that's just going to be beautiful at this point. Uh, do, 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 do. Who's playing Lennon again? Uh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Yeah, sorry. The judges congratulate them at the end of the song for their writing talent and chutzpah. So <laughs> we then cut to the uh, judges' sort of the judges' office, where Lennon and McCartney are asked to enter. The judges are frank with them and tell them their looks not right for the industry, but their songs could work. They ask if they'd consider writing for a company, and they have some ideas of acts put, that they could put together for the band who could sing these songs. What follows is going to be a ledger with a series of artists who we could easily connect to X Factor, Britain's Got Talent, something like that, of artists they think they'd be the perfect look. Lennon says they'll think about it, but the two leave pretty quickly. Later that night, they're going to have a talk. Lennon wants to do something, having found himself awoken by this revisit to music. He kind of wants to make it. He's the more ambitious of the two, interestingly. Um, McCartney wants no part in writing songs for other people, especially ones without much talent. The argument escalates as John tries to push McCartney into it. McCartney gets annoyed. He was happy with his life. This was just meant to be a bit of fun, but no, it had to get bigger and bigger. What's next? You want us to be bigger than Jesus? This is <laughs> yes. what, yeah. nice. This is what was in danger of happening all those years ago when we quit, says McCartney. John turns to him. You quit. McCartney, what do you mean? You quit on us, Paul. We needed a drummer and you quit before we could get one. You always look for a way out. We had something, something bigger than anyone has ever seen before, and you took it away from us. Me and George couldn't continue without you. No way, it didn't feel right. Now it feels right. George would have loved this. He would have loved to be here, but he isn't. And pretty soon we won't be. I want to leave something here when I go. And I think music is it. McCartney's pretty pretty stunned at this point. Sorry, John, I, I, I didn't want to quit on you. I just, I couldn't see us making it. And now, you know, for fuck's sake, we're almost 80. We're trying to break the music scene. Sure, you know this is ridiculous. John kind of smirks here. Never thought we could make it. But our songs might. McCartney turns to him. I'm not choosing any of those shit-eating hats they showed us. Which I don't know if, John, if uh, Paul McCartney would say, but I quite like it. <laughs> um, then John says, there might be more choices than you think. We're heading for a road trip movie. We're going to queue back in the USSR. John and Maka are on the road. They're going to stop at this small house on the outskirts of town. Danny Harrison is chucking out his dad's old things. John and Maka go up to him, sort of say hello. They talk about Danny having to clear his old dad's stuff away, how hard this must have been on all of them. Danny says he heard their stuff on the radio and found some of his dad's old guitar melodies and songs kicking about if they fancied them. They tell them that, that, you know, thanks, but that isn't really why they're here. They talk to Danny about the music they've been writing and the competition and how they wanted to form sort of a band to play their music. But it didn't feel right without George. But after seeing him play, they had the perfect essence of George to inject into the band. They tell him that his dad would have been very proud of the way he sang at the funeral and that he would want Danny to take this opportunity. Danny's swayed and tells them that, of course, he'd love to do it. 
And the two ask if he's got anyone else in mind for their band, judging by the, these are two 80-year-old, sort of 70, 80-year-old guys who have no idea who's in the music industry. Danny tells them he might have a few ideas, namely one that the duo might have suggested earlier to him. So we pick up Alice. Uh, when they arrive, she gets a little bit starstruck after the song she just released. She absolutely loves them and accepts pretty much in a heartbeat. Um, she loves them. They're all quite happy to get along together and uh, things seem to be going well. But they really need a lead guitarist and have no idea how to get one. Danny speaks about some open mics that uh, around the country that he and Alice were going to check out at some point. So they decide to head north and see what they can find. And now we have a scene for my own gratification as we get to Bonnie, Scotland. <laughs> so we come to Scotland and the group are sitting in a lovely little whiskey pub. Imagine Black Cat open mic vibes, sort of like yeah. guys around the table playing, lovely. Yeah. The bartender, who else, is Peter Cavaldi, who's a Swedish Scotsman. <laughs> he chats to the boys and asks them if they want to play. They're like, we don't have the instruments, but if you've got something, we can give it a go. Cavaldi says, of course, we've got some guitars ready for anyone who wants to do a wee set. Um, John and Paul say how nice it is to be totally accepted as sort of open mic musicians despite their age Capaldi tells them how we're all fucking sound cunts in Scotland <laughs> <laughs> and yeah all of a sudden the next player starts up a Scottish woman called Eve I really want her to be played by an up and coming actress and musician who we don't know yet she plays Poke by Frightened Rabbit Maka, John, Alice and Danny listen intently and erupt into applause when it, she finishes. It was beautiful. Alice asks her to come and join them, and Eve does. They ask her about the song, and she talks about Scott Hutchinson, in a pure moment of selfishness from the writer of this film. She explains how lyrically talented he was, and how he opened up a new type of music for a generation. The emotion within his writing is something that just grabbed everyone in the room, especially the foursome. So we get a little ode to Scott Hutchinson there. John says to Paul, in a bit of a cheesy moment, that'll be us one day. Paul tells him to fuck off. Capaldi comes over and gives the old guys some encouragement before they play, telling them it's a generous crowd before he goes up to the mic and introduces them. They go to play, leaving Danny with Alice and Eve. They ask if she'd be interested in coming to do a wee recording session with them. Sort of a trial, see how they work together, see if she enjoyed the songs, tried to write it, sort of thing. She asks what kind of stuff they write. They tell her, they don't write it. It's up to those guys. Lennon and McCartney then play. Uh, the song that Danny gave them, Here Comes the Sun. Eve listens and they tell, and then tells them it's sort of simple, but it's quite catchy. They then pick it up with help. Eve starts to dig it a little bit more, getting into a bit more of the rockier vibe of it. When the guys play, she sort of asks why they don't do the songs themselves. The other two aren't really sure but they agree that they have a great opportunity to play these songs and they would really like Eve to join because she sounds like a nice girl. They chat to her a wee bit and fuck it, give someone an opportunity. Why not? She agrees to come down for a day, but makes note that she thinks the boys should play their own music and we jet back into help as the lads have a lot of fun and perform. We then cut to a recording session back with Baz. We're back with Baz. And... <laughs> The three are jamming well and putting together the building block for Hey Jude. They all agree that there is a drum beat missing, and they don't have the drummer yet. Baz says they have a guy who might be able to put something together with them. So then we cut to the back room, and we hear this mad drum beat going. Sounds great. And we open the door, and we see Riz Ahmed. From Sound of Metal. 
yeah. as a you know drummer <laughs> who plays a character called Riz because I ran out of names at this point. <laughs> so the drumming's amazing. He's play he when they open the door he plays a sick drum fill is what I've written literally uh, before turning turning around and he does a very casual. What did you think? Riz is cool as fuck and damn well knows how talented he is. So the band do sort of a very British want to come back and jam with us on this song we got. Um, Riz says, yeah, why the fuck not? So Riz's game and Eve, Danny, Riz and Alice all start to work together. They play through Hey Jude. And as they play through it, we get a montage through a few practice sessions before a final transition onto a stage in front of the judges from earlier. The song ends. They do well and have a cool chemistry. Finishing with Danny saying, on behalf of the band, I hope we pass the audition. Wozniak says something weird and fun. Sort of like, you know, like a rat up a kilt style thing. Mm. Um, one of those. <laughs> and the four come off ecstatic. John and Paul are watching from the side. They smile and walk away. We cut to Paul's place. He's playing Let It Be on the old piano with John's accompaniment. They're preparing it for the band's use. They finish and turn the radio on. They hear the music performed by the new band over the radio. It's with a little help from a friend. It's been some months at this point. Paul sighs. John sits silently smiling. They're really happy for a band. But then they agree. And they have this little moment together saying, right, I think it's time. And they leave the house. So we cut to the recording studio. And the band are rehearsing. John and Paul pop their heads in to have a wee chat. They tell them to use the songs that they've given them, but they're done writing for them. The guys ask why. John tells them, John tells them, you've gotten the start. Now it's really time to prove yourself. Get writing. Don't ever stop. You have the talent. You have the tools. It's time to stand on your own two feet and stop relying on two old boys helping you write your songs. Maka turns to them and simply says, good luck. And the two leave as a worried and confused band look at each other, contemplating their next step. We then cut back to Paul McCartney's place and John's getting ready to go. This has been alright, Maka says. Uh, this has been alright, John says. It's been great, John. We got out there. Our music in the world, says John. Yeah, George would be happy. Yeah, he would. John turns to leave before coming back. Uh, Paul, I, I don't suppose, Paul says. What is it, John? John says, oh. one more time. We cut to a rooftop. John and Paul stand there together with their guitars. This is the cheesiest moment I have in the film. John notices a drum kit and asks, who's that for? Paul replies, finally found us a drummer. Old Richard Starkey comes in, has a wee cameo, <laughs> pops up to play drums. We then see the boys look at, we then see people look around as the boys play Love Me Do, the song they practiced all those years ago and finally got to play live. We end with the start of Get Back as we cut to the credits. Give it a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Let it digest. Wow. Yeah. Well, I will say I would rather watch that mm -hmm. than watch yesterday again. Yeah. 
So I've got a track list for it that I might put up on Tunaboot as a wee, my yesterday playlist. Aye, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to call it as well, Yesterday, A Beatles Legacy, after um, <laughs> after movie maintenance, because it is all about legacy, really, yeah. at the end of the day. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had a great time and uh, writing it, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. So much. I mean, I can't even critique it right now, because I'm, <laughs> sort of, I'm still in the middle of it. But I, th- I think the the... This is what it should have been. It, it shouldn't have been like a oh, what if the Beatles didn't make it? Like oh, if someone else could have like stolen their glory. Yeah. It's it should have been oh, the Beatles didn't make it. What would they have done next? Yeah, I think you nailed exactly what a film doing that would have done. Yeah. The worry I had during it is when I had the idea, I kind of worried that it would start to become about this band they're putting together. But that's actually a really small part of it. That's mm-hmm. just, it's about these two guys coming together, having their last hurrah, mm-hmm. and then fucking off, basically. And that's what that's what the film's about. These This band sort of like, get their songs played, whatever, fine. You, you, know, you know why I think it's, it's slightly emotional? Is because you've given John Lennon a wee bit of a voice. Well, that's the thing that the original film didn't cover mm-hmm. although they did do a wee sort of scare, like a really weird scary sort of nightmare <laughs> the, the yeah. bloke had which is it's James Corden <laughs> um, you know introducing the two guys who wrote the songs but it, it then they met John in the film but they didn't cover the fact that Paul and Ringo yeah, yeah. would still be alive mm-hmm they didn't cover it because they would still be alive yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I like how you factored all that in I don't, I don't know I've, I've, the issue is that one a bit too drunk uh, to really <laughs> analyse it properly but I fucking loved it that's all I can say I really I really <laughs> did fucking enjoy it yeah I felt like I felt that felt more earnest that f- I enjoyed you talking about that a lot more than I did watching the original film yeah so you've You've done what you said you would do. You did improve on it, one hundred percent. But um, I, I, th- I, I think, know. I think, for from what I've read of the script and <laughs> what you've told me about your script, there's a little bit more heart in your version. It's written by a proper, like it feels like a Beatles fan's written my one. I think more than the other one. Yeah, like it's a, it's an ode to them, not an ode to. Oh, they never existed. Well, their music still made it. That's a, that's sort of a shallow old, I think. Yeah, yeah it was a bit facile, wasn't yeah, it? It's like because yeah. the thing I had issue with the original film was that the songs, 40, 50, 60 years later, mm-hmm. would have the same impact. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because the Beatles irrevocably changed the landscape. Mm. It was like when Dylan started mm. in New York. Like as soon as he started playing, like the whole like everyone, no matter how good everyone was before it, it didn't matter because he yeah. changed it. Yeah. And it was the same thing for popular music; it didn't really exist. Yeah, international yeah. stars weren't as big a thing until the Beatles exist. So it's like it's too big to contain. But what I think you get with this, with your version, Dibble, is a more honest story. 
the only thing I would perhaps change is I, I may have misinterpreted it would be that they'd written all those songs when they were younger rather than writing them as old men yeah they sort of I suppose the sort of they're writing um writing a couple but it's a lot of loose bits and bobs that they yeah. have written that I think they're working on is uh, what I'd want to have maybe earlier on we get a scene where mm. um, Maka flicks through a few of his old songs and plays the piano mm. a bit in that early montage or whatever yeah I would um, yeah just again I, I fucking loved I really enjoyed yeah. that I got really I, you know as much as I am a Beatles fan I'm not like a mega fan I don't know everything mm. about them but all the little details you put in, like the places where they played and which song was where, I've loved all that. But I feel like if you know, they lost the drummer and they split up, you still need, because they wrote all those songs in seven years, Yeah. you still need them to have written those songs yeah, yeah. at some point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which they couldn't have done as old men. So what you'd probably have to do if you were doing it would be like acoustic arrangements are different yeah so they'd have some of the same melodies but it'd be which yeah. is obviously difficult to well that yeah that you know could I mean? be fleshed out in a that yeah. would, I would I totally agree yeah. I, I would have if uh, it was going to print tomorrow that would have been fleshed out <laughs> a little bit more but yeah. I, I will say I mean fucking first of all props for the amount of work he did there yeah, that was fucking hell. unreal so good and uh, yeah I just I really enjoyed listening to that mm. I would happily listen to you do you want to do it again <laughs> I do know one. That should be that should be a fringe show, a one man fringe show. I'd watch that. <laughs> just me reading my Beatles biopic. Don't get it to memory, but you know, you know. Don't I mean? get any actors. Just read your script. Yeah, well, the pay is less for everyone else and more for me. <laughs> and Liam would enjoy it more. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much. It's no, honestly, like, that was. That was yeah. fucking fun. The big things, like like you say, the Beatles making it now heavy, successful as the Yesterday film, I wanted to steer clear of that. Yeah, they would have made it. I think they would have gotten their songs out there. Mm-hmm. But never once was it alluded to that they were number one bestsellers. They yeah. were a band playing mm-hmm. and they were doing quite well. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's what I really liked about that is the fact that they never, they weren't international no. stars. They just were respected yeah. musicians. And that would happen to... Yeah. It, like same with fucking um, Nirvana. What's his name? Um, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. <laughs> if he if he hadn't have met all the people that made that band great, he would still be respected and yeah. amazing. Yeah. But it wouldn't have. You know, you have to get above that certain point, and you could tell that you, know, you could do it for almost any band. But what I liked about that story is that they didn't. Yeah. It's not like oh, they're internationally one of the greatest bands ever written because they wrote those great songs. Because obviously context applies to that. Yeah. Mm. Well, thanks, guys. Um, I think we should probably call it an uh, episode there <laughs> yeah. at this point because we do need to go. Um, so my album re- recommendation of the week before we go, not a Beatles one, because <gasps> we've got enough of those ones. Heretic. It's a um, compilation album, album called uh, Resistance Radio, The Man in the High Castle album. And it's a bunch of covers done mm-hmm. by um, artists including Sharon Van Etten, Beck, uh, Angel Olsen, Michael Kimanuka, uh, Nora Jones, Curtis Harding, Khalees, all these guys. And it's basically like covers of more modern songs done in a 40s to 60s sort of style. That sounds fucking unreal. It's a brilliant album. It's based on the show. It's from the show The Man in the High Castle, which I've watched about mm-hmm. 10 episodes of and really couldn't get into. But I try and try again and get about two episodes further each time. But the music's <laughs> fucking amazing. So... Uh, 
give this one of it. The End of the World by Sharon, Sharon Van Etten is fucking mm. amazing. Um, mm. Yeah, as the boys will always say, like and subscribe. Yeah, that was that was emotional, man. That yeah. was good. I thank you, Jigo. That was great. And <laughs> I really fucking enjoyed that. Yeah, thank you. I hope you get. I hope everyone did, man. Uh, yeah, put a lot of more heart and soul than I thought I would into that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. Let's uh, call it quits there. I have been Dougal. I have been Liam. When I'm sixty, Jim. That'll do. Yep, yeah, I've always been sixty, Jim. Uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. Yeah. Good Appreciate night. It. Good love. Good olives. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>